You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. While so many of our fairs were lost to cancellations in 2020, today's guests found a way to actually have a fair. Today, he joins us to explain exactly how he and his team did it. He's the executive director for the Greater Gulf State Fair in Mobile, Alabama. This is Mr. Josh Wood. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, letting us share our story. Uh, you know, you're a young guy in the fair industry. For those who haven't met you yet, can you share your background on how you got involved with the Greater Gulf State Fair? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm 34 or 33, about to turn 34. Uh, so relatively young, uh, I, I like to think, I guess. Uh, long, long story short, um, was sent a box one time. I graduated college in 2009, got a box in the mail uh, asking me uh, to come to a meeting. It actually had my Facebook profile picture with a clown nose and a Ferris wheel. Came to a meeting, uh, learned about the Greater Gulf State Fair, which I'd attended since Oh, man, since probably I was four or five, uh, you know, as early as it can get to, to ride a ride. Um, always attended with my aunt and uncle. Uh, me and my sister came. Uh, Greater Gulf State Fair is a, a vital part of our uh, of our, our, our memories. And um, got that box in the mail, came, attended a meeting, uh, eventually came on the board uh, and then really loved what, what, what went on. Uh, I, you know, coming out of college, I worked at a bank. Uh, branch manager, uh, worked my way up into commercial lending, uh, was in commercial lending, and then we had an opening here uh, for, for the executive director position. Um, I was on the board. Uh, we, we had all these applications come in, had some of my, my fellow board members say, hey, why don't you apply for the job? Nah, I'm, I'm a banker. I, I really love the board. Don't, don't really you know, see myself going in that position. Uh, went home, told my wife about what they said, and she told me, well, why don't you apply? You're dumb if you don't apply. You'll love it. You're the most passionate person I know about uh, or I know that, that loves that job and the organization. I applied, um, ended up going through the whole process, got the executive director job. This is going to be my fifth year uh, as executive director. Um, surround myself with good people, which is, uh, is, is the thing to do whenever you're um, doing any job. And, and we're just, we're here now. We, we had a fair last year when we really thought we weren't going to have a fair. So that, that's kind of where we're, where we're at now. So it doesn't sound like this was with so many that we've spoken to. You know, we spoke with Courtney Conkle, for example, from the Wyoming State Fair. She's got literally a pedigree in the fair industry, her father being a, a concessionaire for decades upon decades. This was not a, uh, a an aspiration of yours when you were young. You grew up and you went in a different direction and the fair called you. That, that, that's that's kind of, that sums it up. Um, you know, I was on the board, uh, Attended fairs all my attended the fair all my life. Really loved the fair. That's what we did. Uh, me, my uncle uh, and aunt took me and my my sister every year to the fair. Um, there's a picture of me very angry that I won a small prize at the duck game and my my sister won a big prize. <laughs> it's actually actually in my office. Um, there's a picture of me and my wife. Uh, one of our first dates that I think we went on was uh, to the fair. Um, there's a picture of us on one of our first dates in my office. Uh, loved the fair. Had a passion for the fair. Uh, over a decade ago, uh, got on the fair board, learned more about the fair, and kind of been here ever since. Um, but I, I definitely, um, one of the outside of my family and my kids and, and everything, that the fair is, uh, the organization, the fair is, is my passion. 
Well, I, you know, I think we see it, of course, on our end, because we work in this industry, but you talked about, you know, you thought one of your first dates was at the fair. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, just how many memories do we make in this industry, whether it's the magician pulling the kid up on the stage to do a cool trick with them, or that first date or a first kiss on the Ferris wheel, or all those things we do with our families. Um, you know, there's a really fantastic video from one of the fairs out in California and I'm blanking, which I think it was Stanislaus County fair, but they have a fantastic video. If you, you can look it up on YouTube. Anybody listening can look it up on YouTube, look up Stanislaus County fair. I think it's imagine the memories is the name of the video and they have the Ferris wheel. Have you seen it? You know what I'm talking about? Uh I I know exactly what you're talking about. It starts with the young kids and like the sock hop outfits and whatnot back in like the 50s and 50s music plays and as the ferris wheel goes around in a circle um they're now teenagers and then their parents and then their grandparents and then they're you know and it go it literally is the message is that the fair is timeless and the fair is is for everyone that all the memories that you make at the fair i think a lot of us miss that uh this past year without our local fairs happening I know for me, there's just something special about every fair that I go to. I, I am very blessed to get to travel this whole country and see fairs all over the place. But I tell you what, there's one thing that is the same at almost every fair you go to. And there's a moment where you look at that Ferris wheel lit up against the night sky or against the sunset. And it's like, we do fun for a living, man. We do. That's um, So that's our organizational mission. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, we're actually ran by a group of under 40s. So all my board members are under 40. Uh, makes us a very, very unique fair organization. Um, I think there's only a handful of us out there. Um, so a couple years ago, we did a, a strategic plan process with Max Fritz. Uh, he formerly of the Calgary Stamp. He came down, did this. And once we did all these things, we, we came together. We spent multiple weekends. We argued. We wrote on walls. We did all this stuff. And then we came out with a strat plan and then we ended with a vision and a mission. And that whole vision and mission um, is around what we do. And that's to make memories. And we're here no matter what we do. And that, that was kind of our focus in 2020 is, um, you know, our, our goal and our mission is we're, we're supposed to be a place of making memories. So how can we in 2020, a year of, of the most craziest thing we've ever seen in our life, how can we for some, some brief time period out of that year, put the Ferris wheel up, do some fair things and allow a place, you know, become a place for people to make memories. And um, I mean, you're right that some of my greatest memories are, you know, going on that, that first, second, third date with my wife here, um, riding the zipper with my uncle. Um, I actually cried. I was eight. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will ride any ride on my midway, but the zipper, just because I'll stand there and stare at it and remember the time I cried. Oh, wow. But we, but uh, yeah, we're, we're a place of memories and, I mean, you, you contribute to those memories. You, uh, people, I can't tell you that, that once they see what you do, they, they take away a memory. So that's, that's something cool that we do. And, and that's kind of like a brotherhood or, or, or a group that we're all in is we make memories. Tell us a little bit about your fair. Uh, what are the dates, which typical attendance look like? So we're usually one of the last fairs to go off either the last or almost the last, uh, we, we run at the end of October into the first part of November normally. And, you know, we're, we run a, roughly our average attendance is a hundred thousand. That's real through the gate. We're not doing a multiplier or anything like that. We, we count everybody that comes in and, and that that's how many we have. So we average a hundred thousand. 
Um, we're spread out, our, our fairgrounds uh, are over 96 acres. We just purchased 64 more acres that we're gonna develop in the next couple of years, um, you know, kind of bring us to a grand total of 150, 160. Um, on top of that, we do year round uh, rental events that we didn't really see those last year, but <laughs> um, hopefully that's gonna return later this year. So we, we run, uh, you know, run for 10 days. Uh, North American Midway is our entertainment company and uh, our Midway company. And uh, we, we have lots of great partners that come along with that. You mentioned there, um, you know, your non-fair rentals. Um, so in addition to the fair, obviously you host a multitude of events at your facility. I'm guessing anything from graduations to boat shows, gun shows, RV shows, you name it. I'm curious for your fair though, are you all generating the majority of your revenue from fair or from non-fair rentals? We do. So the majority of our revenue comes from fair. Uh, just because that's what we spend the most of our time doing, and we we plan and we do that. Um, our rentals, um, even though we're not a not a big venue, we only rent out roughly three buildings. Which maybe this year we'll we'll change that up. We'll renovate some things and open up some different areas, make that available for rentals. But uh, we roughly rent three four areas, um, three four rooms, an outside grandstand. We roughly you know last year we were on target to do three hundred thousand, which is um, roughly um, give or take about a, a quarter of our are a little, little less than a quarter of our, our total budget. Um, but uh, we, were, we were on target to do that. Uh, that would have been a wreck. That would have been a record. Um, but unfortunately, we, we fell. Um, we, we pretty much had to shut up after after March. So we, we didn't achieve that last year. Um, this year's not looking so hot uh, <laughs> with Mardi Gras being canceled. Um, I had I had one of my, my first event in a month and a half for, for 50 people last weekend. Um, that was uh, that was great, but uh, you know we're we're looking towards the summer. Hopefully May, um, you know April, May, June, we'll start uh, seeing some of those vaccinations go into place. Um, you know things starting to kind of hopefully return back to normal. Yeah, my gut feeling, uh, for whatever scientific purposes that has, my gut feeling is you know probably May June might be that cutoff where we start after that maybe we, you know, the needle swings back in our favor and we start having some events. But, you know, I think a lot of those summer events, depending on how much runway they need to get off the ground, may, we may lose them, but, you know, God, we got to get something going. Cause you know, if you look at last year, you're cruising along the beginning of the year, we're cruising along. I mean, you guys have your Mardi Gras and uh, all that stuff. You have the, your rentals and Mardi Gras balls and all that mobile and we're cruising and then March 20 hits and hit like a ton of bricks, you know, Houston canceling, as I've said over and over on this podcast was that moment that all of us went, Oh, this could be big. What are you thinking at that point back in March of 2020 when all of a sudden the big one goes down? Yeah. So we, we get through Mardi Gras and no, that's a, that's a good hit for us. That's, you know, that's almost a third of our, our, re our rental revenue. We're, we're good. We're flipping, we're turning, People are coming. Everything's great. We get through Mardi Gras. We have another event that's uh, really good for us. And then uh, March, I will never forget it, March the 16th, we went and ate at Callahan's uh, with our carnival rep. And we, we kind of started hearing, you know, the, the murmurings about what was going on. And um, I said, well, you know, worst case scenario, we close for a month or two, then we're right back at it. And then March 20th happened, and I actually went back the other day, took a look at our, our Facebook timeline. Um, it was March 20th that we announced. Um, I remember sitting here in my office, uh, really watching watching Houston close down and thinking, uh, yeah, this, this, this probably isn't going to be the greatest for us. Um, but I'm very, very 
I guess, very optimistic for the end of the year or towards the middle end of the year, I think we'll we'll finally see things kind of open back up. Yeah, so as the year's rolling on last year, as 2020's rolling, you're starting to see your close friends in the industry are canceling and they don't have any choice. So, you know, either they, uh, their government shut them down or health departments or, or whatnot, they had no choice. And as the dominoes fell, you and your board are watching this very rapidly changing landscape eventually you guys have to make a decision. Do you open in some modified format or do you cancel? Take us through that decision-making process. Right. Um, so in March, we, we did not have a board meet. Well, we had our board meeting. April, we, we did not have, a, we had a virtual board meeting. And then um, in May, we, we finally came back together and we had a social distance board meeting, which is very easy whenever you have 60,000 square feet of a, a venue space. So we, we spread it out. We did that. Um, you know, my number one, my number one point going into that was, um, you know, hey guys, we we can't make a decision now. We're not we're not going to make a decision now. But uh, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to develop four plans. Um, you know, whatever that looks like. By that time, Alabama had rolled out and said, all right, we're going to start classifying counties from green to yellow to red. And uh, you know that's that's your your level of risk based on your county and how comfortable we feel with all the data we have to to classify you. So um, at that point we saw that and I said I'm going to come back to you next month. I'm going to come back in June and I'm going to I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have a green plan, a yellow plan, a red plan, and we'll even call this a black plan um, where we we we're a, a virtual fair and we don't do anything where we we basically do everything online. So. Um, spent the next month, a little bit over a month, uh, you know, looking at everything from, um, you know, the Outdoor Amusement Industry Association, uh, Business Association's uh, website, the White House, Alabama, Florida had a very good, very well, well stated plan, um, brought that into play, and then also kind of looked at what IFE and, and Marla and her team had provided us, um, was on every call, talked to all these different, different affairs across the industry. And uh, we, we came up with a, a four-part plan, um, depending on the risk level and also, you know, where we stood. And then at that point, um, got the board on board with it, um, got my board on board, and we just started planning a fair. And we, we based it around, you know, the green, yellow, red, and, uh, you know, God help us if we have to have a, a virtual fair. And, uh, you know, we planned all these plans, um, got down to September with our plan, and um, in the meantime, we're, we're you know, giving it to the health department, hoping to hear back from them. Um, you know, hey guys, this is this is what we're going to do. Um, was able to talk with uh, with our, our our chief medical officer of the county. Um, basically, kind of told me that he's not going to not let us go and uh, you know develop a plan and they'll they'll review it. Um, got to September and September first or the first you know couple of days of September, we uh, made a press release and had a press conference and said we were going to go, and that was kind of our uh, Cortez burning the ships. Uh, moment where, you know, there's no turning back after this. It's all 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 speed ahead, and um, you know we ended up uh, kind of you know we even though we did drop in risk tolerance per se for for COVID, um, we we continued on with a hybrid yellow red plan. Um, did an all outdoor fair, um, limited you know capacity, um, required mask, uh, hand sanitizing stations everywhere, um, a, a increased sanitation. We we hired a clean team to come in. And, uh, and, and clean everything. And then uh, we were able to go and uh, we did modify our fare, um, pushed it a week back 
Um, we did a uh, Wednesday, open on a Friday, did the first weekend, did a Wednesday through Sunday, and then a Wednesday through Sunday, and uh, we're able to, to get it off. And um, we, had, we have great partners. We have great concessionaires, um, uh, entertainment partners, uh, our Midway partners, um, very flexible, and um, everybody pulled together, and we were able to accomplish it. As you opened and folks started coming through your gates, was there ever a moment that you were second guessing your decision and getting a little nervous? Like what happens if all of a sudden there's a thousand or 5,000 cases that spike out of this? Um, yeah, uh, especially because uh, like pretty much um, after the first week, and again, you know, there's, there's the 10 to 14 days that they say, well, you got to quarantine and we don't really know spikes and everything like that. Um, right before we opened, we, we, we hit red. And um, I was like, well, great. Okay, well, um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering how this is going to turn out. But, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can. They, they looked at our plan. They reviewed our plan. Um, the health department was here every day. Um, and, you know, we were doing everything we can. Uh, we ordered 25, 30,000 masks, and we handed out every single one of them. Um, we made people wear masks and, um, you know, uh, Fortunately, but unfortunately, uh, social distancing was a little easier to obtain this year because we didn't really have the attendance like we usually do. But, um, you know, that that was fine. Um, you know, at the end of the day, kind of the worry and the, the thought was, uh, you know, we did have people take their mask off at certain areas and things like that. But, um, you know, we just kind of had to come to grips with that people are people and humans are humans. And um, we can do everything we can, but at the end of the day, it's up to them to do what they're supposed to do. So. Once you guys announced that you were, I think you said there about the beginning of September, you said we're going. Um, did you get pushback from the community? I know I've seen a lot of posts from fairs that said we're going to have our fair and the the backlash was rapid. Did you guys get pushback? Um, you know, looking out at probably for every 100 comments that we received or messages that we received, um, five of them were negative, uh, you know, which is you're always going to have people that, that don't agree with anything you do. Yep. You can say we're going to give out candy on Friday to everybody that comes through this, you know, this area. And then people are going to tell you, well, I don't like sugar. Okay, well, it's free. Um, but anyway, <laughs> exactly. You're going to have people that don't like whatever you do. But um, we did, you know, for every 100 on average, five people detracted. But, um, you know, that also fueled us to, 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 really, to really step up our game and show we are really doing what we're saying we're doing. Here's our plan. Um, we took pictures. We have pictures across the midway to show that people, we, we were doing what we we're supposed to do. Um, all of our vendors, they, they wanted to work. They'd been sitting for months and months and months. They wanted to work. So they, they were, you know, number one partner on making sure we did everything safe. Um, so we, we did have some, some naysayers and some folks that, that disagreed with what we did. But um, I, I like to think at the end of the day, we, we were able to show them we could accomplish it and do something safe, outside safe um, for the community. Yeah, and obviously community sport is um, it's massively important. What did your attendance look? Obviously, it's, it wasn't up to snuff. How much were you guys off this year? Right. We were off roughly about 20%. So we had 73,933 um, people come through our gate this year. Um, you know, normally we're right around that, that 97 to 100,000 mark. Um, so we were down. Um, fortunately though, uh, you know, we were only down as far as money wise. Um, we were only down 20% on revenue, um, which is a very big win. Um, we're still down, you know, we're, we're still, we're still at a loss, but um, you know, we were able to produce a safe event. 
um, put people to work, which was kind of our, our well, really my main main goal was to, to get, get our partners back to work at least for some time period. And uh, we were able to accomplish that. So, so moving forward, um, you've wrapped 2020 now. And like any fair, as soon as it feels like, as soon as you guys, you know, the Ferris wheel is packed up and moves off your ground, you wake up the next day and start planning for the next year. Hopefully, like we talked about by this summer, you know, we're starting to, um, to get ahead of the game on, on COVID and that needle's pushing back in our favor. But in the meantime, you still got to plan your 2021 show and you're still in the middle of a pandemic. How do you, how do you and your team go about doing that? Yeah. So, um, normally my, you know, we, we close the fair on a Sunday and and I'll, I'll kind of show you a little bit. I have a countdown clock back here. Mm -hmm. Um, Normally we close the close the show on a Sunday. We get everybody out. Um, everybody's gone. Um, come in on Monday. We finish up the last bit of bookkeeping, and before I leave on Tuesday, I reset my countdown clock. So as of right now, I have 290 days left. Um, so that that's constantly in our mind and, and constantly in my mind of, of thinking of what we're gonna do. Um, but looking into 2021, um, you know, all we really can do is is you know we know we can accomplish a safe fair. Um, based on what we did last year, we know we can have an outdoor fair, and it'll be it'll be great, and and people will come, and we can do what we've done, and and so we know that's a baseline for us. Um, we know we can accomplish that, but um, obviously we want to get back to some sort of normalcy. So we're we're planning the fair like we normally do, and we'll re-examine ourselves in June and July and, and see what it's kind of shaping out like. So what's the current state of the government response down there in Alabama? Are y'all still locked down or mask mandates? What's going on down there? Um, so Alabama, um, obviously, uh, I think uh, if, if Alabama could, could, change its, uh, could change its state uh, slogan, it would probably be, um, we do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, a, that's been very... I've realized that over, over the pandemic, but, um, you know, uh, for the most part, as far as what the state government is telling everybody they need to do, um, masks are required. Uh, venues are allowed to open um, as long as they are able to provide that six foot distancing with people. Um, you know, obviously encouraging hand sanitization and things like that. Um, but, but really kind of what I've seen, you know, what, what's allowed hasn't really been occurring. Um, it, it's more of what the comfort level with the, with the people are. Um, you know, going back to our, our events here, uh, you know, normally I would do 20 events over January, February, March. Um, most of those kind of centering around Mardi Gras. Well, well, Mardi Gras is kind of not going to happen this year in Mobile uh, for the most part. Um, so I've seen a lot of those social events kind of not happen. Um, but, you know, the more market style, whether that's a um, vintage markets, one of our, our big, our big uh, uh, tenants here. Uh, twice a year you know that's more of a a flea market um antique style event marketplace style the gun shows um so we're, we're seeing more market style events happen but not necessarily those social gathering type events yeah i mean this year obviously has been a struggle for everyone and i know for you all down there with the mardi gras cancellations that's if anybody that's outside the South and really if you're outside of like the new Orleans to mobile area, cause it's a really tight, uh, rate circumference that is the Mardi that celebrates Mardi Gras in this country, but you guys do it and y'all do it big. In fact, I believe several years ago, y'all trolled new Orleans and put up a billboard over new Orleans that said, you're just one hour away or two hours away from the original Mardi Gras. 
We did. Uh, so we're the birthplace of Mardi Gras, no matter what New Orleans says. <laughs> it was celebrated here, and then we brought it over there. Um, but yeah, we uh, Mardi Gras is huge here. Um, you know, unfortunately, it, it's kind of shaping up where the city's not going to probably issue parade permits. Um, but uh, we are going to do something creative. Um, we were on our Facebook page. Obviously, we're in the like I said, we're in the business of making memories, no matter what that looks like. So uh, we've asked neighborhoods to nominate their neighborhood. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to secretly uh, select two to three neighborhoods in our area. Um, we have a 13-foot cow that's on a trailer that we, we towed around everywhere um, to promote the fair. So uh, we're going to bring the cow and maybe one or two other vehicles, um, select randomly select three neighborhoods, secretly tell them we're coming, and then we're going to toss some beads and everything out to them as they come outside their house. Um, so we can at least say that uh, the Greater Gulf State Fair facilitated some sort of Mardi Gras even during a pandemic. Um, and well, you're not actually having a parade. You're just driving down the street, tossing some stuff and people come out of their houses. That's we are. We're just taking our 13 foot cow for a ride. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mardi Gras is, is massive. My first Mardi Gras was that I actually was in new Orleans for Mardi Gras. Nate was like three months old. He was born <laughs> December. So it was that February beginning of March. And, uh, we were sitting there on, I guess it's, uh, we were on the neutral ground side. So I guess that's canal street. Sarah would know better. Cause she, you know, she knows that stuff by heart, but those parade floats, the, the work you guys that all the Mardi Gras people do is just amazing. I mean, it is a religious experience for those folks down in the South. And, um, last year, you know, Sarah's mom is part of a, a crew there in Biloxi and she was the, I guess the queen of, of the crew. And so we flew down or there's uh, the, it blows me away how much they spend just to have a party for a night, just a random party, the money that gets spent and all that money is not flowing through the economy this year in, in mobile. And so whether it's mobile or new Orleans, I know, I'm pretty sure new Orleans has already uh, pulled all the permits. Haven't they? There's mobile. no permits for parades. New Orleans um, said they're not going to issue permits on um, mobile. Mobile's waiting around, but I, I don't see it happening. Um, which, you know, another side of things that, that affects um, our industry, obviously we're a, a rental venue and everything like that, but um, a lot of our partners, um, you know, whether they live in Texas or they live in Florida or they live in Mobile or New Orleans, um, a lot of our concessionaire partners are used to starting their year by setting up for Mardi Gras and then they go out to all the fairs. So, um, you know, that that's a, another further impact to, to our industry that, a lot of our concessionaire partners are, are going to miss another quarter of their revenue that they normally would have. So it's um it's definitely uh, continuing to take a toll on the industry for sure. Do you have concern that for some of these partners that you've worked with for so many years, that there is a there's a red line sitting out there somewhere in 2021 that they don't come back from if they pass it? Um, so. Uh, uh, we, we are a very candid fair, or I, I like to try to try to be very candid. Um, you, you know, it, you'll, you'll find me a lot of times during the fair, hanging out in a concessionaire trailer or hanging out with an entertainment, um, partner or, or hanging out in one of our, our commercial vendors booths, just chatting with them. Um, because I, I like to know the industry, like to know who they are, what they do. We're very relationship based. Um, so I had a lot of candid conversations this year. Uh, Hey, where you know where 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 do you stand um, as far as your 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 corn dog your funnel cake your cotton candy stand 
um, where do you stand as far as what you do as an entertainment partner or where do you stand as far as traveling around selling your goods in, in commercial areas? Um, I don't know if 2021 is going to be the red line, but um, it better start picking up in 2022. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my uh, concessionaires specifically have had to go what they get, get what they call a real job um, to kind of help, help out, uh, you know, um, earlier or, or later last year. Um, you know, I don't know if 2021 is the year, but um, it's going to be tight. And I, I do see that there's probably some of them that, that aren't going to come back yeah. um, if we can't get started in the summer. Um, but uh, yeah, 2022, um, if we can't do 21, we're, there's going to be a lot of our good friends um, out there that, that aren't going to be able to come hang out with us again in 2022. I tend to agree. I know from early on with entertainers, you know, and same with fairs, uh, I've said it repeatedly on the podcast, I felt like early on, you know, the small fairs were probably going to be, uh, could be in trouble and the bigger fairs because their bigger fairs were going to be okay. And same for entertainers, you know, the big mainstay acts um, were going to be okay, but the smaller ones could be in trouble. And I think time has proven it's the exact opposite. You know, if you look at um, Del Mar, LA County, there's a number of fairs across this country that are major fairs, they're top 50 fairs and they're in big trouble um, because, you know, as it, at the end of the day, you all, depending on how you're set up, you have mortgages on your property. You've got utility bills to pay. You've got, there's overhead there. And, you know, a huge fairgrounds like Del Mar has got a lot of overhead. Whereas a small grounds that may be owned by the county and have a volunteer board probably is in better financial position to survive. And I think it goes the same for entertainers. You know, I realize, you know, acts like me, our stuff sitting in storage in the garage, you know, Lady Houdini, Danny Grant, who you had at your fair, if he's not, if Danny Grant's not working, he's just going to put his stuff in the garage and that's no real overhead. But I really, my heart breaks for, you know, people who have like the pig races and the animal shows and, you know, sea lion splash who I, I love Jimmy. His show's fantastic, but those animals still got to eat. They still need veterinary care. There's still lots of overhead there. So it's definitely been a struggle for everyone. What, um, what do you think we can do both as collective as collectively as an industry, but also individually to help kind of build people back up and support them and give them encouragement during this time? Yeah. Um, so we have, we have an awesome tool in front of us. Um, it, uh, social media nowadays, um, you know, that social media allows you to tell your story uh, for really relatively low to no cost. Um, really staying active on, on Facebook and social media and things like that. Um, fairs, uh, you have an email list. Um, you know, we, you know, really promoting those people that we come in contact with and, and also pushing our narrative, um, our narrative being, hey, whenever you're ready to make memories, we're going to be here. And um, that that's what we do. Um, no matter what, what happens in the world, pandemic, no pandemic, um, we're always thinking about how we can, we can arrange something to make memories together and bring you in as a patron. Um, but also too, I, I, you know, listening to your podcast, um, that encouragement, uh, I want to say that, that it was Jimmy, I guess, uh, with Splash that, that said that, um, you know, somebody picked a phone up and they called him and they said, hey, um, just want to check in on you, see how you're doing. Um, you know, that encouragement across the, the industry, whether it's Marla and her team sending out, you know, weekly emails from IFE or whether it's entertainers just touching base with other entertainers or, or fairs reaching out to their partners and their, their concessionaires, their carnival uh, people, their, their carnival workers, um, you know, that, that encouragement amongst our community, I think is, is huge. 
um, it, it gets you, it gets you to the next week. It might not get you to the next year, but it gets you to the next week. Um, so I, I definitely think that's huge and that we can do that as an industry. But um, outside of that, I, I think it's keeping the hope and keeping the, the faith and, and really conveying to our patrons whether or not we can open or not, that we're still here. We're still a vital part of the, the community. And, um, you know, whenever the time happens, whether that's tomorrow or, or next year or hopefully at the end of this year or hopefully when it's time for our fair, that um, we're still going to be here and we're going to help you make memories um, safely and uh, you're going to you're going to you're going to appreciate the, the work we do. So, yeah, that's you know, that's part of the reason I put that video out earlier in the year um, the we'll be here video for the fairs. I'm not sure if you saw it, but yeah, I, I know it just came at a point where so many people there's just so much unknown. And I mean, there's still unknown, but I feel like we're kind of getting used to the road rash that we're getting <laughs> in this industry. And I really feel like there's an important message in that video, not only to the community, but to all of us within the fair industry that we are going to make it back. We may not all make it back, but the industry as a whole, as a whole will recover. And I'm convinced that at some point in the future, it might be two or three years from now, we will see a new, a, a new day for this industry that we will see fairs shattering records. We will see new innovation. We will see our communities come back together at our events. I just think, you know, Aaron Alejandro, who's the head of Texas FFA, I had him on the show and he talked about, you know, he was asked, do you think after this is all over that we'll actually be together in groups again? And he said, you know, in all of my years on this earth, I've never not seen, you know, dogs pack up together, quails, covey, all that. Like we are people that not everybody. I mean, some people are introverted, but we're people as human beings, we like to be social and we like to come together. I think we're going to see, you know, I think we're going to see a new day moving into the future. I think so too. Um, people are people and people like to gather. And um, the, the things we do annually, the things we do are, are just natural ways for them to, to, to come and gather. But I'm um, going back to Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is just the, the biggest gathering of people. Um, you know, I, I cannot wait to stand next to a barricade, a complete stranger on both sides with me and my kids. And we just start a conversation. We get to know each other and somehow we become Facebook friends and we watch a parade. Um, that's, that's, that's the essence of what, what being a human is. And, and yep. that's what we do. Um, that's, that's what our, our core is, is we make memories and we, we cause people to gather. Um, and we're going to come back and um, it's going to be kind of like breaking a dam. You got to watch out. The floodwaters are, are going to overtake you whenever we can. So. I feel like we're, we'll make it back, but I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, the challenge was we were going to have to overcome the pandemic. And I think in the last 90 days, as contentious as the election was, I think there's a second, second wall we're going to have to overcome. And that is that political division within the country. You know, I have with my close friends, my closest friends, I'll get into real political discussions with a lot of them. I have friends that are on the left and on the right. And, but at the end of the day, I'm friends with them. I, I respect where they're at. They're well thought out on their positions. But when we welcome people to our fairs, I don't care whether that person is voting Republican or voting Democrat or whether they, you know, have a polit one political view over the other. When people come up and press the button on Conjurer Machine, I want them to smile and have fun. And I want to give out a fortune card and make them read it. And maybe they laugh or maybe they go, oh, that means a lot to me. I never thought I something that way. 
isn't that what we're all in this industry for? It doesn't politics aside that we're out here to make fun. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that that's a hundred percent what it is. Um, one of the uh, North American Midway Entertainment, their, their tagline is, is uh, we're going to make you smile. Um, simple. And that tagline, I'm just like us. We're here to make memories. Yep. Um, uh, that that tagline it, it doesn't come with well if you have a D behind your belief or you have an R behind your belief, um, so yeah. If anything, if there's one thing that I know, um, you know, large events, fairs, um, they they can heal people. Um, you know, there's there's several times that um, you know worked with with uh, Pirate Dan this year. Um, Pirate Dan uh, had a uh, had a had a person email him after the fair and say, hey, I just want to let you know that. My husband's been going through one of the hardest times. He lost his job. Um, this year's really taken a beating um, on us as a family. But we came out to the fair. Um, you somehow called him up to let him do something. And um, that's the first time that we saw him smile in this whole year. Um, and we want to tell you thank you. Um, so, yeah, we, we have uh, our events, the fair industry, the things that we do, um, the things that we represent, um, they, it's regardless of political party and, and social status. Um, we're here to make memories and that's as far as we get. Um, so that's, that's something that I, I think that after 2020 and uh, what looks like early 2021, um, we're going to need to be that place of respite for all these people and, and our patrons. So. Yeah, I agree. We've been, you know, we've been so at each other's throats politically. It's not a comfortable position to be in. I mean, all of us just witnessed a horrific scene at the Capitol. We've watched horrific scenes all across this country. And I think all of it's because people don't want to listen and people don't want to be empathetic. Listen, if you've got one political belief that's different from mine, cool. Have your political belief. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all Americans and we need empathy and, and patience and kindness. And that's, that's the way forward together. And I'm hopeful that as the pandemic wanes and, and we move forward in 2021, that we can all set those differences aside and just be, you know, let's go to the fair, <laughs> let's go ride the Ferris wheel and eat a corn dog, you know, where, um, if there, if there's ever a point in time that fairs and entertainers and midways and concessionaires and corn dogs are needed, um, I think it's today. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm I'm ready for us to open again because I would like to show the government just how essential we actually are. That's right. been that's been it's hurt this year. I I understand what their point is, differentiating essential workers from non-essential. Um, I get it. When you're a nurse or a EMT or a doctor, you're front lines right now. You're you're more important than the the juggler at the fair, or the fortune machine at the fair. I get it. Um. But it is, it stings a little bit. It, it kind of stings the pride when you're told, oh, you're non-essential. Well, we'll see yeah. about that. <laughs> when you guys all start coming back to fairs and you start laughing and having fun with your families again, I think you'll remember just how essential all of us are in this industry. It is, um, you know, a year, a year or going on a year. I mean, we're almost, we're really close to that March 20th. Day. Yeah. About 300 days into 15 days to flatten the curve is where we're at. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, but nothing's happened. You, people have sat at their house. Um, you know, uh, it, there's not been memories made. There's not been, been smiles happening. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. And, and also just seeing the social interaction um, kind of makes me curious as to what, you know, what moving forward is going to look like. Um, we've had a year. 
Um, I know my five-year-old has struggled this year. My, my two-year-old struggled this year. Um, so what are the effects of, of the last year going to have? And, um, you know, getting back to, uh, to us essentials, the, 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 the people that lift your spirits and the people that entertain you and the people that, that may help you make memories, um, you know, can't wait to make those effects back on, on the people again. Yeah, I think um, it may, may sound a little arrogant, but I think part of the reason there is so much tension building in the country is that all of so many of us are forced to be home and we got nothing to do but consume visual trauma. That's what Coffey Anderson, my, my friend from the Netflix show Country Ever After said, you know, you got to quit commenting and engaging with the visual trauma, but that's all we're being, that's all we're seeing, whether it's on television, whether it's on our social media feeds is visual trauma. And, and the, the arrogant part of this, if, if it is arrogant is I think part of the reason people are where they're at is because they're not coming to fairs. They're not going to the movie theater. They're not having a nice dinner out with their family. They're not doing trips to Disney world, going to the gym, all those things that are daily stress relief. So we're just locked in our houses and forced to, you know, we're watching garbage all the time and it's building tension really fast. I think so. I, I agree with you. Um, so is there anything you've learned about yourself going through 2020? Um, a lot. Uh, so 2020, we, we shut down for a month and a half, two months, um, let my team go. Unfortunately, um, we were able to, to, to keep all of our team on board. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of our, our breaking point was, was going to be around September. If, if we, if we couldn't, if we couldn't make anything happen, um, as far as any sort of revenue, then, then we would be, be forced to lay some, some team members off. But um, over that month and a half, it was up to Josh Woods um, to come up here and cut the grass and, and do the things and keep the place up. And um, there's a lot of time uh, to think when you're on a tractor bush hogging uh, 95 acres and things like that. Um, but then also emerging out of that, I you know, really realized that, uh, that, that teamwork is, is tremendous. Um, um, Josh Woods a lot of times likes to take things on himself because Josh Woods does it best. But, uh, you know, at, at that same time, Josh Woods is letting his team down by not letting them do the things they do best. So really, um, <laughs> so really, uh, you know, letting, letting things go and working together closer as a team. Um, but then also too, just, um, we, you know, we emerged, we were on schedule to have 175 event days last year. The year before that we did 140, um, you know, this year, all things considering, we were probably going to break 200 event days um, based on negotiations with events and things like that. Um, now we're shuttered. And, uh, you know, like I said, we, we had an event last night or, or Saturday night for 50 people. Um, I got another one at the end of the month for another 100 people. Um, but really also, you know, I, I've really realized that um, I rely a lot of times on that social interaction. And um, that's what I feed off of. And that's what my team feeds off of. Um, so really, you know, um, backing off, letting people do their work um, and, and, you know, Josh do his job and letting the other people that work for me do their job. But then also realizing that, you know, we, we need people. We, we feed off of that. That's why we're in this industry. And um, we really miss that. So um, we can't wait for, for events to come back. And we're, we're glad we were able to have the fair because that kind of gave us a little bit of a high there um, end of the year. But um, we're, we're definitely looking forward to uh, forward to events coming back so that we can see people again. You know, you, you talk so much about the people in this industry and the people are guests. Um, is there a person that has most helped you navigate through this pandemic? 
I, I would probably, you know, just go ahead and name that person, um, Scooter Cork with North American Midway. Um, Scooter is our, he's the vice president of uh, customer relations and customer service for North American Midway. He's our direct contact to the carnival. Um, Scooter's got many, many years on, of, uh, of carnival service. Um, and he, you know, he, uh, his, his first job was, was driving a forklift, what he thought was for the Calgary Stampede, but ended up being for North American Midway. And uh, that's, how, that's how he got into the industry. Um, Scooter's been around, Scooter's seen pretty much everything you can think of. Um, me and Scooter regularly talked. Um, Scooter was, was locked down in Calgary. I'm locked down in Mobile and, and we, would, we would chat, you know, a lot more than we usually do. And um, just hearing Scooter's optimism and also um, Scooter's uh, experience showed that our industry is resilient. And uh, no matter what gets thrown at the carnival industry or the fair industry or the entertainment industry, somehow we figure out a way to, to get back and make it better. And we, we have the best years of our life after some of the worst. So really waiting for that, you know, waiting, waiting for that, I guess, tipping point of when does the worst years of our life move into the best years of our life? Um, when, when is that gonna come? So that, that's given me optimism. And, and um, so I, I would definitely say Scooter Cork, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's been awesome. Um, Marla had the unique opportunity to talk with Marla uh, Calico a lot from IFE um, this year. And uh, really, we, we have a great leader at IFE um, with Marla and um, looking forward to seeing her in person eventually. Uh, yep. Yeah, I know when I, I had Marla on the show, um, someone like myself is very extroverted being an entertainer and, you know, like to engage and get conversation going. Um, I found uh, an interesting contrast between Marla and other guests that Marla's very matter of fact. Um, I don't want to say I don't want to say dry in her, but it's just very. This is the facts. And at first, I just I, I saw that contrast, and then I realized with Marla that I'm really glad that someone like that is leading IFE because while certainly she's got her own emotion and her she's she's wounded like all of us are about what's happened but she's so focused on just the facts what do we know how do we get a to b to c and so that we can get to a fair i'm glad someone like that is in charge at ife so that they don't get drawn by their emotion and get mixed up on their decision making she's so focused on what is the most up-to-date information the she was telling me the um, subscription she has to, um, you know, the Johns Hopkins and the CDC, and she's pouring over all this information so that we don't have to, and she can just disseminate the best information. I'm glad somebody like that is at the top for IFE. Me too. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I guess there's like wartime leaders, and now is maybe our wartime. Um, she's definitely a wartime leader. Um, yep. I'm glad that glad that she's she's leading us up. Her, her, everything IFE's done through this whole ordeal um, has just been tremendous, and I'm very glad to be a part of that association. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. So, listen, you're a, a young fair manager. You said everybody on your board's under forty. <laughs> yeah. Are you? Are you under forty? You're under forty, yeah. I am. I'm thirty four. About to turn thirty four. Oh man, what I wouldn't give to have those seven years back. Yeah, I just I'm working on forty two this summer, and uh, I'll tell you the last year. I, w- I turned 40 and I was like, I'm good, man. I'm good. And then I turned 41 and the pandemic was like, what? And I'm all, okay, maybe I feel a little bit closer to 50 now. <laughs> so what, as a young fair manager, uh, what do you know now about yourself 
and producing fares that would have been helpful if you knew it when you got into the fare industry? Oh, uh, kind of going back to let, let people that you hire do their jobs. Um, don't, you know, even though you think you do it better, they can do it just as well as you. Um, so that, that's definitely been something. Delegation's huge. Um, but also uh, one thing that I've really, the last three years that I've, you know, really two years, I guess, um, relationships, uh, you're not in it alone. Um, there's tons of people out there. There's, there's the, the, the people in the world and, and, you know, you've had several of them on your, on your podcast. Um, there, there's lots of people that are in the same boat, young, like you, younger, like you, um, and, and they're going through the same things, but then also don't, don't walk away from, uh, from some of those old, those older folks or the folks that have been in the industry a, a lot longer than you have. Um, one of the, one of my favorite things to do was last year when I went to IFE was the mentor minute when you had the, you had a lot of CEOs from, from different fairs sit in with you for five minutes and, and chat. Um, so, you know, definitely, definitely not, not walk away from, from knowledge that that's laid out for you. But um, outside of that, you know, uh, this year's kind of really showed us that you, you kind of got to be very fiscally conservative whenever you're, you're, you're walking through the fair industry because um, yeah, money's there today, but it's not going to be there tomorrow. Um, so that that's definitely a, a takeaway that I've, I've came away is um, manage your budgets tight, um, always prepare for worst case. And um, usually it doesn't happen, but um, occasionally it does. Well, and you talk about those relationships with, with older fair managers. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to look at someone who's been in the industry 30 or 40 years and say, yeah, well, we do things differently. We're younger. We're going to change it up. And we're, um, and, and I like the tenacity from young fair managers that are like, you know, we're going to try something we've never done before. I admire that. At the same time, especially in a situation like this, having those relationships with senior fair managers that are, you know, maybe they're 55, 60 years old and they've got 30 years experience can give a perspective that as a young fair manager, you just do not have yet. You know, these are fair managers that have lived through and managed fairs through medical crises like, you know, swine flu and avian flu. They've managed economic meltdowns. They've managed post 9-11 worlds that, you know, there's real value in that perspective. And I would encourage anybody listening, if you're not tight with two or three or four older fair managers that have real experience, go find them and build relationships with them because that knowledge is only going to be here so long and you need to get it while you can. Yeah. And I'm not, not saying they're old, but uh, you know, the, the, the Gary's of, of Iowa state and jeans of biggie and Nancy of, of South Carolina um, being on calls with them during this and hearing that they're preparing they're, they're preparing their, their houses for, um, for, you know, potential not to be able to, um, to go this year. Um, maybe Josh Woods at Greater Gulf State Fair should probably prepare his house as well. So um, definitely th those folks that have been in the industry are, are valuable and um, they, uh, they speak the truth uh, to young fair managers for sure. Oh, for sure. You know, one of my, one of my mentors, God rest his soul, John Owens, who passed away several years ago um, down in Florida, he just had such a fantastic perspective and I'm glad that I got to know him when I did um, just because he helped set me in, in motion. And one of the things that he taught me that I valued the most was not to say no for the other guy. Cause there were a lot of times that I wouldn't approach a fair. Cause it'd be like, 
No, that fair's too big. They're not like, they're not going to want a little guy like me. Well, there's a number of fairs. Some of my best clients, biggest clients are because I just thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And, uh, and I've built great relationships because of what John Owens taught me. And so, you know, just like Scooter helped mentor you through and get you through this year. I know John Owens, um, I'm sure he's looking down on this industry going, there's a lot of people doing, working really hard and doing the, doing the good work to preserve this industry for the future. Josh, listen, I'm glad you could be on the show today. Uh, I'm looking at the time. We're just about out of time, but before we go, everyone who comes on the show goes through a little speed round of questions and I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Just give me your best answer for each. Sounds good. You ready? Thanks. So. Favorite concert you ever attended. Oh, favorite concert. Um, so I saw John Mayer three times in one year. So it was great. So that's three concerts, but I'll lump them into one. That's fine. You know, I'm a boys to men fan. I've seen them like nine times live and all of them are the best all combined as one. Uh, you're down in the South. So here's one unique for the South shrimp Creole or boiled crawfish. No boiled crawfish. Amen. Which chore is worse laundry or dishes? Uh, laundry. You got to sort. Yep. Kind of drags on, especially when you got kids and then you got to right side out their clothes that they did. Oh God. Yeah. Get the underwear out of the pants. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Yeah. I get it. Uh, first celebrity crush. Oh, maybe Jennifer Aniston. Fair. Totally fair. What's the furthest from home you've ever traveled? Oh, um, Regina and Saskatoon, Canada. I have yet to make Canada. They're on my list. And last question, if I opened a music app on your phone right now, which song would have played the most? I'm more of a podcast kind of guy, but a song, um, probably Wonder All. Okay. Don't know the song. Who sings it? Um, what is it? Uh, three Eye Blind or uh, Three uh, – yeah, Three Eye Blind. Three so- – <laughs> when this podcast is over, we're going to look it up and be like, oh, we got that all wrong. No, hang on. I'm going to tell you. He's going to can- check it right now. Is it Third Eye Blind? Is that the name of the group? I think so, Third Eye Blind, right? It's okay, folks. He's from Alabama. Alabama. I literally <laughs> on the 90s podcast. Um, yeah, Wonderall, Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. Yeah, okay. Wonderall. So what's your favorite podcast you're listening to? Um, Outside of Fair Games. Uh, <laughs> yes, my man. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> really, I, I, I really love uh, – you know, I, I guess probably um, Jesse Cole with uh, yellow uh, with Savannah Bananas, the yellow tux guy. Okay. He does a really great podcast. Um, and that that's kind of that's kind of my weekly one outside of, uh, you know, just the normal talk shows that, that I listen right. to. Um, Rick and Bubba show has a podcast. Turn that on while I'm actually we're rewiring the facility right now. And I listen to three hours of Rick and Bubba as I pull cat five cable. So, you know. Well, that's what you got to do. I, you know, it's it's really interesting doing this podcast and seeing uh, my analytics on the back end um, and comparing them, a couple of friends who have podcasts and comparing the numbers. And my numbers are way down compared to what a podcast should be in our industry. But the reason we've established that is, is because for the majority of us as entertainers, we're listening to podcasts when we're making, you know, seven, eight hour jumps across the country. Nobody's making seven or eight hour jumps. So my gut feeling is, when things start to open back up, maybe later in the spring or summer or, or early fall, all of a sudden I'm going to see this massive spike in in people uh, listening to the show. And that's when I'll be like, oh, okay, people are back on the road again. 
you'll have two seasons or, or what going on two and a half seasons, I guess, to, that they can catch up on. Yeah, I mean, the, the first season was like 15 episodes. It was a lot of marketing-based stuff. And then this one, you know, we initially were going to do 20, and then we did 30 um, to kind of round it out right before Christmas. And then over the holidays, as it kind of became clear that, you know, like the Florida State, really the thing that made the decision happen to go forward was Florida State Fair moved into the spring. I guess they're, I don't know if they've announced yet, April or May, I think they're looking to move the fair to South Florida, you know, West Palm Beach had to make some adjustments. And so it's like, well this thing's going to keep hitting. It's going to keep impacting. And there's still a lot of stories to tell. So that's when we decided we're just going to go long-term this, we're going to call it season two and it might have 300 episodes by the time it's done, but it's just season two. And we're going to go for it and tell as many stories in this industry as we can. And uh, Josh, I'm really glad you could come on the show today and tell your story. If folks want to reach out and talk to you about what you did around your fair mitigation strategies, things like that, where can they reach you? Yeah, so you can obviously reach us at greatergoffstatefair.com. Um, my email address is on there. My email address is josh.woods at mobilefair.com. Um, my cell phone's uh, 251-459-1341. Um, he even still, puts his cell phone out there. Wow. It never stops ringing. Um, and then also, you know, our Facebook page, uh, Greater Gulf State Fair, um, Mobile, Alabama. Um, we'd love to share our story, love to help you know, any way we can. Um, share share what we did. Um, I got an awesome team, Pascal, Andrea, Madison. Um, we will we will be teaming up with you and help you do whatever we can to to get you open. I've met a number of them, and I know you guys really have done some great work down there in Mobile. Listen, next time Sarah and I, when when travel restrictions lighten up, um, next time we come down there and visit her family in Biloxi, we'll, we're going to need to pop over to Mobile and have lunch with you, buddy. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to Callahan's or we'll go down to Bluegill. We'll look forward to it. Josh Woods from the Greater Gulf State Fair in Mobile, Alabama. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Robert. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.